You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Thank you. Aren't you thankful for our awesome band? Grateful for the City Church band. Leah leading us in that song. Merry 80 degrees Christmas on the moon. Uh, my name is Dean. It's great to be here together tonight. We're so thankful for the Moon staff, how generous they always are to us. Uh, so let's thank Scott Carzo and his family and all the Moon staff for letting us be here three times tonight. I uh, hear at three and then at five at seven. At seven. Uh, we're in a series right now looking at different Christmas movies at our church and how we can see the story of Jesus and understand the good news of the gospel more uh, by seeing an underlying meaning in a lot of those movies. Let's pray together and then we will jump in. Our Father, we are so thankful to be here. We're thankful for Christmas, which is the great story and testimony of your love for your people. So we're so thankful you did not leave us in our sin, uh, you did not leave us without hope, but that you so loved the world that you gave your only son. So who believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. We're thankful to be here. We ask you in every church in our city during this holiday season, uh, may the message of Christmas be clear from every pulpit in our city, and let us use all these wonderful things around us to celebrate this season as a way to understand your love more and also point others to the truth of Jesus Christ. We ask you the enemy out of this place tonight. Let us have an awesome Christmas on the moon all night long, and we're grateful for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So tonight, we, last week we did Christmas Vacation with Chevy Chase, the Griswold family. Next week, I think we're doing a Christmas carol. We're doing Grinch later on. Our youth minister wants to do Polar Express. So you can throw, you can, if you see him, his name's Jake, you can throw him a little shade later about that. It's like Polar, but he promises he's going to make it work. Uh, so tonight, I got to pick the ability to do my favorite uh, Christmas movie, and it's not actually one movie, it's a genre of movies called Hallmark movies. Anybody here, is anybody here a fan of Hallmark movies? All right, who tolerates them? Okay, who hates them? You know what, it's kind of like everybody says they hate Nickelback, but you know all the words of the songs? We're not buying it. We know you watch them. We know you watch them. So there's a lot of this kind of negativity thrown around about Hallmark movies uh, that hurts my feelings a little bit. I saw this meme this past week. I'll put it on the screen. I fell asleep halfway into a Hallmark Christmas movie, then woke up halfway through another. It took me 30 minutes to notice. That was a little hurtful. I also think Hallmark uh, really kind of expands the self-esteem of guys that have really thick beards, you know, and always wear the flannel shirt. It's like, no, it's not the billionaire in a suit from New York City that's going to get the girl. It's the scruffy guy who owns a hardware store kind of thing. So those of y'all, that's kind of your scene. This is the kind of time of year you go like this. And we actually know that you really live in Golden Eagle, but we'll put up with the whole, like, rough guy. We'll, we'll, We'll allow it. But here's the reality of Hallmark movies, and the big story every time is how you need to come to our city. You need to come to our world, to our realm, and once you come here and adopt our way of life, once you start caring about Christmas more, once you love the city Main Street Parade, you know, once you decorate the town Christmas tree, once you put that big city behind you, once you are singing the solo in the town Christmas pageant, then everything's going to be better in your life, and you're going to meet the guy, and you're going to get married, and it all comes back to the fact that you came by chance from that city to our perfect little world on Main Street. Merry Christmas, the end. And then the next one starts immediately. 
But it's all in the context of you come here and you embrace us. And as a result, your life will be changed. Now, all those things might be true about life here on earth. But none of those things, as good as lighting the Christmas tree in the town pageant and Main Street decorated and you know, everything we pretend Thomasville is this time of year, all those things are good things, but none of those things deal with the fundamental human problem. None of those things actually forgive sin. See, Christmas is the story of God coming to forgive sin. Here's what the Bible says about it. We're told this first in John chapter 1. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. So what is Christmas season out of the gate? It's actually not a season. It's about light. That Jesus came to this world to shine in the darkness. This world really has been dark with sin and sorrow and brokenness ever since the fall, the first sin that took place in the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve said, God, no thanks, we don't want you, we want your stuff instead. We want to keep a distance from you. We believe there's more to be gained by disobeying you than there is to be gained by obeying you, so we're going to choose what we want rather than what you want, and our God can't let sin go unpunished. What kind of God would that be? So they were banished from God's presence, their relationship broken with him under the sentence of death for betraying their creator, and we can't close our eyes and pretend that our world is light or assume that we can do something to make it light up a little bit more. And I think we assume that a lot. We're the goodness of humanity. We believe that's the solution, that that's the answer. And again, that might be the answer to a better Christmas pageant. That might be a little bit better to receiving the girl from New York City who's burnt out on life. That might help you save your Aunt Nancy's inn in the town. But it doesn't shine spiritual light. It shines an artificial light. So in the Old Testament, they're told over and over again, God's people, that a day is coming to look ahead when someone from outside our world will enter into our world. Kind of feels like a Hallmark movie for a second. An outsider coming in and he's going to bring the light of life with him. Here's the book of Isaiah. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. This is a prediction, a prophecy as it's called. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. A light has dawned for those in darkness. This is actually about a person who will bring light to our world sometime in the future. And Christmas actually is the story of the God of Israel who was pushed away by his people will now re-enter his broken, created world. And here's how he entered it. Look at this verse. Philippians chapter 2 is where we're going to be tonight primarily. Verse 7. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. Think about that for a minute. He didn't come in blazing saddles. He didn't come in on a horse to conquer the world. He came in, God himself. The one Colossians 1 says holds all things together, that by him all things are made. He emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, as in God, who was fully God, also became fully human. 
I mean, think about this. He could have had an emperor. He could have come as an emperor with legions of angel armies around him and instantly wiped Rome off and all their oppression off the map and from the the face of the earth. He could have created a Christian nation in its place where all the world would instantly be brought into this new understanding. But instead, he came as a helpless baby. A baby. We just sang about that a few minutes ago. What child is this? Angels could have been sent to announce Jesus' birth to the generals of the world's empires. But they announced these great tidings of great joy to a bunch of shepherds out in a field who would have been the most oppressed people at that time concerning vocation. But think about our view of it. You ever seen a nativity scene? Of course you have. How does it look at the birth scene? Here's a new baby just been born, and Joseph's standing there like this, and Mary's standing there like she just, like, you know, had some ice cream, and all's great in the world. I mean, she's just sitting there like this with her hands, like a nativity scene, and there's the baby never crying ever. Away in a manger, says no crying he makes. I'm like, you ever been around a baby before? Babysat a baby? Held a baby? Been on an airplane with a baby? Something in us wants to sensationalize it to the point of perfection, just like a Hallmark movie. Our town, our street, our pageant, our Christmas tree, our way of life. Make it as Christmassy as it possibly can be, and yet here is the Son of God entering the world. We're told out, maybe behind, we're told clearly that there was no room in an inn. He was born in a trough in a manger. We're not exactly sure what that looked like, but it wasn't some elite kind of posh hospital. Mary didn't have a birthing plan, let's put it that way. There wasn't a monogram little, you know, socks to put on him afterwards. It just didn't work that way. But think about how we view it so often and the question is, we're not some, you're not some kind of bad Christian if you, you know, make it romantic and make it sentimental. We're not saying that. But what I'm saying is, could we actually miss the big part of the story of God's love when we try to make Christmas more like some sort of sentimental ideal rather than seeing exactly what God was up to? It's important to know that Jesus did not enter Main Street on the Hallmark movie next to the local bakery on the corner. He didn't lead the Christmas tree lighting downtown or have the solo in the town pageants. Like the lady who arrives in a small town from New York, we try to find often salvation in new relationships, in family, in tradition, in just feeling better or, or being happier. And again, all those things work great for the movies. And they work great for Instagram. And and they work great for temporary fixes, but they don't solve the fundamental human problem, and that is that we must be reconciled to God. That God will receive justice for our rebellion against him. Either we're going to trust in God for our salvation and the one that he sent, Jesus, who died a death that we deserve to reconcile us to God, or we're going to trust in ourselves. And this time of year, it's so easy to do that because we celebrate all the good things around us, and they are good things. They're just not God things. See, the way to salvation is not through becoming more like our town. It's not by getting more of the Christmas spirit, even though I love those things. The way of salvation comes by a cross. Philippians 2. 
he humbled himself. We see after he took on the likeness of humanity, he humbled himself. When he had come as a man, humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. I would argue that from the scriptures that you can't understand Christmas unless you understand the cross. Book of Galatians says that if righteousness, if goodness can be achieved by keeping the law, by doing the right things, becoming more like the people of the Hallmark town, then Jesus actually died for nothing. Which we could say even means that Christmas makes no sense. And the whole Jesus is the reason for the season you hear all the time, that's just kind of a waste. It doesn't matter who's the reason for the season. Then we're just going to celebrate winter and just kind of make it a thing because salvation can come by our own efforts. But Christmas refutes that out of the gate because it's a fulfillment of the story that God promised his people that a light would come and shine into darkness. And that light would stay a light and he would grow up and become a man and would live a perfect life that we never live, making himself eligible to be the one who would die for our sins. And he went to a cross. So to understand the manger is to understand the cross. Then we see this in verse 9. For this reason, because he humbled himself in obedience to the cross, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, glory is not found in Christmas. It is found in Christ. Glory is not found in chestnuts roasting, but Christ rescuing and redeeming. See, Christmas is the story of God's rescue mission, to rescue people who were in brokenness, in darkness, and most of all, in sin. And we do a good job to act like that's not true. We've like convinced ourselves it's not because we can cover it all up, or we can put on any kind of facade, even maybe not even meaning to just to really believe in our hearts that we're good and we're fine and we're okay. And I'm not saying you aren't by the standards of this world. What I'm saying is God doesn't judge us by the standards of this world. God's standard is himself. So we have to realize when we sin, not just that we made a mistake, but who it is we're sinning against. The holy God of the universe. And what did he do? Did he punish us as our sins deserve? No. He opened up a trough in Bethlehem, when there was no room in the inn, and had the plan of salvation promised long before, not enter skipping down the street to Santa Claus's come to town on Main Street in a Hallmark movie, but entered into brokenness, entered into non-ideal circumstances, entered into darkness. See, Hallmark is come to our perfect place. Jesus, instead, came to our imperfect place. He came to our mess. Hallmark is, hey, come be more like us. The gospel story is you failed miserably in trying to be more like God. So I'm going to come to you. I'm going to come to your space and to your town and to your world. That's the world I created in the first place. And how did he do it? Through the least ideal of circumstances. Dustin Benge wrote this, and I think it's helpful for us to understand this. 
He said, born not to a king, but a carpenter, his father Joseph on earth. Born not in robes, but rags. Born not into gold, but hay. Born not in renown, but obscurity. Born not in splendor, but in a trough. Born not to live, but die. And what is the response to that for all believers? What should it be? Oh, come let us adore him. So could it be that when we think of Jesus coming in with Christmas lights decorated all around him, that we're missing exactly the lengths that God went to to redeem a people to himself. It wasn't a silent night, even though I love that song, and we'll do it at our Christmas Eve service because of tradition. Don't mess with my Christmas traditions. Don't mess with them. That wasn't a silent night. Mary right now in heaven's laughing about that song. She's like, if y'all only knew. Joseph's like, trust me, I was there. Trust me. He entered into brokenness, into pain. And how incredible. Not, it's not to be TMI here, but one of the consequences of sin, we're told in the Bible, was that there would be pain in childbirth. So that through the consequences of sin, that the perfect one would enter the world. Think about that for a minute. Like he entered not into our main street, but to, into our mess, into our pain, into our brokenness. So what should the response be to that? All the things we do at Christmas. All the lights and all the songs and all the family and all the gifts. Why? Because we're responding to the greatest story that's ever been told. And that is that God entered here because we could never make it to him. So he came to us. In the Gospels it says that the word, meaning Jesus, became flesh. The Son of God became man and dwelt among us. Lived among us. And that comes from the word tabernacle. And in the Old Testament, the way that the people would encounter God physically was that he would be with them through the setting up of a tabernacle. They couldn't see him face to face, but he would dwell with him that, them that way. And what he's telling us is, in the same way I dwelled, not fully with you, but the tabernacle was a place where you would come and meet me as I set up camp around you. I'm not just setting up a tent. I'm walking the same road you walk and moving into the same town that you live in. And I'm coming here into all the things in this world that are a mess. And all you got to do is look around. Our world right now is cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. I mean, think about all the things that are happening. I mean, just turn on the news, not for too long. You'll lose your mind. I mean, just, just scroll. Brokenness everywhere. Everywhere. What does God do about that? He showed up. He showed up. Because we can't fix the brokenness ourselves. So what do we do? Look to another person? Well, you can't look to me or I can't look to you because you have your own sins that have to be forgiven. I can't die for your sins. I have my own sins that need to be 
punished. And you can't look to me, I can't look to you, and the best Christian you know, you can't look to that person because, again, Jesus had to die for them too. So where do we look? We look outward to a foreign righteousness, to a foreign hope, and guess what happened? God provided that. And we call it Christmas. So this Christmas season, if you really want to understand God's love for you, which I really think is part of the theme of the entire Bible, is us seeing God's patience and his mercy and his compassionate love for his people, I think you understand, I need to understand more, myself included, the circumstances that he became sin so that we would not have to be punished for sin. We're told in 2 Corinthians 5 that he became sin so we could receive his righteousness. Before he ever even did that, he entered the world right smack in the middle of brokenness. And that glory would come through that. So please don't think that the good things in this life can redeem you or fix the problems. Only Jesus can be the one who redeems. And here's the good news. It's available for every single one of us. Because a manger in Bethlehem was occupied with a baby who would grow up to die for the sins of the world. Isn't that great news? The story of Christmas is a story of a cross. That's the story. Let's pray together, and then we're going to hear a song about, uh, about that night and about what really went down. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for grace. We're thankful that we could not work our way to you, so you came to us. Forgive us when we think by polishing up our lives and making them look better that they actually look better to you when that's not reality. We're told that our righteousness compared to you is like filthy rags. We are grateful that rather than condemning us, that you sent a perfect righteousness, that being Jesus. So this Christmas, we ask that we'll be mindful of the humble circumstances and the brokenness, because in that, we'll be reminded that the way to glory is through a cross, by Christ. And we're thankful that the tomb could not hold you, and that Easter proves once and for all that Christmas worked that the plan was executed to perfection because you are the sovereign God who does as you will and as you please and keeps your promises and nothing can overcome you. So let us be people who are mindful at Christmas time of Easter that you have won the victory for your glory and for your people to be reconciled to you and part of your family. The Christmas story is the story of a family reunion of you reconciling a people to yourself in Christ. Lord, fill us with the Spirit, open our eyes to believe, and help us be people who love Christmas so much it's the story of your love for your people, and we get to be a part of that. We're thankful, and we ask all in the name of Jesus. Amen.